Your son, he's gone. He was weak and foolish, like his father. So I destroyed him. This hit goes out to you, Mr. Wick. Woke up this morning. 42 regular, wasn't it? Yeah. And so it begins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Living in this time behind enemy lines, so I got mine. I hope you challenge you to single combat. If you win, you'll have your freedom. And when I see you, I'm gonna take what I want, so... Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Weak and Foolish Movie Podcast. My name is Mike, and I'm your host. With me are my fellow podcasters, Job Ang. Hello, everybody. Albert Liu. Hey, everyone. And Paul Shu. Yeah. All right, and in this episode, we are going to be talking about John Wick Chapter 4, the latest installment in the John Wick franchise. And like always, we're going to start with a non-spoiler discussion about the movie, uh, just our general thoughts about the film without going into any details about the plot. And then uh, we're going to go uh, into spoiler discussion, which uh, we're going to break down the plot uh, in terms of the different acts, and we're going to discuss just our thoughts on each section of the film. All right, so Job, uh, let's start with you. Um, what did what what did you think about John Wick Chapter Four? Yeah, I, I thought this was a worthy sequel to the series. Uh, I'd say it's maybe the best. Um, wow, definitely light on story, light on um, some of the world building, but the action was just really killer, and the uh, the choreography I felt was the most visceral type of choreography I've seen in a while. I mean, it's, it's John Wick, right? So what it's, it's to be expected. Um, it is a really long movie though, really long movie. And um, I do feel like it, it kind of started to wear on me. Um, maybe it was the time of day I watched, but uh, other than that, it was, it was a great time. Keanu's Keanu, Donnie Yen is great. Um, looking forward to talking about the rest of the story. Cool. So best in the series. I think that's kind of like what I've been seeing online. Uh, that's just the general sentiment around this movie. Uh, Albert, do you agree with Job? I don't know if it's the best of the series. I I, I think, uh, I mean, it depends. I think as an action movie, if you were to judge it with all the other action movies that have ever been out there, I think it's one of the best action movies, but as a John Wick movie, I probably still prefer the simplicity and the surprise of uh, that I got from watching the first John Wick uh, when you thought you were just getting one thing and you kind of got something that hinted at something much larger. I also tend to have a bit of a bias towards like low budget filmmaking where they could sort of take the most out of their budget and run with it. And that's why I thought the first one did really well. And you could tell this one definitely didn't have any sort of budgetary restraints on it whatsoever uh that being said i you know going back to what i said about action movies i think it's one of the finest action movies ever made if you were just to not prioritize the narrative as your biggest reason for watching this movie and just think of you know the action it's it's uh incredible what they did um with each of the um 
action sets set pieces if that's the right way to say it uh and how long they were supposed they were able to sustain each sequence and elevate um uh everything step by step uh that being said you know if it comes down to a story i kind of liked how this one focused everything back on on uh wick's journey or his you know supposed last leg of, of this uh this 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 thing he has to sort of take down the table in some way so yeah all right cool uh well, you said that your first, the first ones of your favorite, would this rank like as a number two in the series? Oh yeah, for sure. This would okay. be number two. Yeah, okay. close number two. Yeah. All right. All right, Paul. Uh, your thoughts on John Wick Chapter Four? Uh, yeah. So I really liked it as well. Um, I liked all four John Wick movies uh, about the same. I think they're all like excellent action films, and um, I think after thinking about it some more because you know we posted our uh mike you and i we posted our reactions immediately after the theater and i said it was probably the best one so far and i think after thinking about it you know it's definitely still a toss-up between two and four for me but now that i thought about it a bit more i i do, like i do think that this is the best one uh for sure um probably not by much but um i i just like just from a technical aspect, like what Albert was saying, like how they sustain all those action scenes for so long. And, um, you know, we, we talked about how like my biggest fear uh, going into it, Mike, was how uh, because this movie is almost three hours long. I was like, man, if it's going to be like the Casablanca shootout scene in John Wick three, uh, then I, I was a little scared because that one, that fight scene is really long, but it gets older really fast. So I was kind of worried about that, but I think for this one, they do a lot of things to make it interesting uh, and to keep it kind of refreshing the whole time. So I thought it was good. Um, definitely a bit light on story. Um, not a fan of Bill Skarsgård's character, which we'll get into later. Um, but I think overall, it's if this is the last one, then it's, it's a good one to end on. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it a lot. All right, awesome. I feel like, uh, well, before I, I say my thoughts on this movie, I should say that my favorite John Wick film is the second movie. And I say this because I think everyone approaches movies with different expectations. So you have a lot of different opinions about the same movie. And for me, the second movie has everything that I love about John Wick. Uh, it has the insane gun fu action, some hand-to-hand -hand combat. It expands the scope of world building from the first movie, which I loved so much. Uh, the, the first movie, like you said, Albert, was a complete surprise. There's something much larger than the small-scale story that we got. And so the second movie, I feel like, delivered on that. It, it gave us a clear picture, a, a clearer picture of the Continental, uh, the overarching high table that rules over the world of assassins. Uh, we learn about markers and how every assassin is bound to the code of the marker. So, uh, I, I mean, the second movie is also the one that reunited Neo and Morpheus on screen, right? By giving us uh, Lawrence Fishburne as the Bowery King. So I think the second movie delivered uh, a lot of the stuff that I love about this franchise. And chapter four, I really enjoyed it. I feel like there's a lot of hype going into this movie. When I started checking Rotten Tomatoes, uh, it was at a 90%, 91%, and it actually climbed up 
now is currently at a 95%, which we rarely see, right? Scores usually start higher and then they get less and less. So it gets lower and lower over time as more people report the reviews, but that's not what we saw with this one. So I will say this, the action in chapter four definitely lived up to the hype, right? We got gunfu, like, which, you know, this is what we expect, right? From John Wick. But then we have the final hour of this movie that just feels like it grabs inspiration from every action film, every hallmark of cinema uh, in the last like 60, 70 years. Uh, it, it felt like it was hard boiled and it was the good, the bad, the ugly and just in everything in between. Um, but I, what I do think is missing, sorely missing from chapter four is the world building that I love from this franchise. And in this movie, we learn almost nothing, nothing new about the high table or the Continental Hotels or, or about the world of assassins. And I don't want to go into details because I don't want to spoil it, but I came in, you know, wanting more from this movie in that area and I just didn't get it. And, you know, that's okay. It's very entertaining. They brought it in terms of the action. They sustained the action, like you said. Albert, uh, for a very long time at a very high, high quality. So, you know, I can't complain too much, but I will say that this is probably my least favorite out of the entire, all, all four. I would say the second and first movie are my favorite. And the third one and the fourth one offer the least in terms of the world building. And so I think that's where the third and fourth movie kind of falter for me. Uh, and I think some of the action scenes, when it goes on past a certain point, it starts becoming like white noise. You kind of, there's less surprising things happening in the action. So um, I, I started to feel that in this movie at some points. Uh, any other general thoughts or just any anyone want to comment on your thoughts on each other's thoughts before we move on? Let's get into it. Okay. All right, then. So, uh, spoilers for John Wick starting now. No, no, you're still holding on! Let go! We're going to break up the movie into three parts. Okay, so the movie begins kind of like how this, the second and third movie began, which is kind of the fallout from the previous movie. So, this movie begins with John Wick killing the elder of the high table uh, in the middle of the desert. And then uh, Marquis Vincent de Gramont, played by Bill Skarsgård. Uh, he's a member, a senior member of the high table. He summons Winston and Sharon and informs uh, Winston that he's no longer the manager of the New York Continental and then declares him excommunicado. And then he executes uh, Sharon and then blows up the New York Continental. And so Bill Skarsgård goes to Paris where he recruits Kane, played by Donnie Yen, uh, and tells him to go after John Wick or else he's going to murder his daughter. So this all culminates in the sequence at the Osaka Continental. All right, right from the beginning, John Wick hunting down the elder of the high table and then killing him. I immediately was a little bit disappointed by this because I'm like, how... Is that easy to kill the uh, elder of the high table? This is the one who sits above the high table, right? Which is this nefarious like organization. Only there's only twelve members, right? That we know of uh, from the previous movies. We haven't ever seen them before, but we have seen the elder, and he just kind of rides a horse, kills a few henchmen along the way, 
in the desert, finds him and kills him. Um, I don't know. How did you guys feel about this? Was Were you okay with it? Or did it kind of feel like it was a little too easy? I was okay with it. I uh, I get what you're saying. Um, but I don't know. It's too. In- I'm always enraptured by any scenes that are shot in Jordan, right? Like Mad Max. And I think I was enjoying the scenery and I hadn't really thought about, oh, you know, the elder being so easy to kill. But I think I was under an impression that he had already fought his way to get up to that point. Uh, so I don't. I mean, this is how I imagined it was that those uh, he probably killed a lot of henchmen before and those were like the final four or something. And and I think they needed <laughs> once again, this is a well, no, I don't know about once again. I don't know if I said it earlier, but it feels like a lot of plot points are there to service the action this time. And they need sort of a reason for basically an army to go after John Wick for this final quote final unquote outing yeah i like what you said i I, and i agree um about the um the story just serving the action set pieces and um i i feel like i from what i remember he didn't even have blood like on his shirt or anything like so he seemed like he got to the elder unscathed and I would I expected there to be like a million guards around the elder, but he was just sitting there in the desert by himself. You also yeah. have to wonder, like, how, like, shouldn't he be in some kind of palace or something, not just sitting in the middle of the desert? Like, well, I, I yeah, I I I, I I I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I I wonder if sometimes these elders think they're too untouchable, and they got lazy about it. Yeah, I I can see that. It just seems like a little anticlimactic for them to kind of build out this world and how untouchable the high table the elders are. And then he just walks up to him and shoots him. You know, one shot kill. So I think off the bat, I was like a little disappointed that there wasn't more of a build up to this, that maybe they could have, he could have executed a member of the high table rather than the elder himself. Yeah, just, just a thought. Yeah, I, I I get what yeah, I know I, I totally see what you're saying. Um I, I don't I don't know if I should discuss it too early, but it kind of feels to me that this story was kind of more concerned about not so much how these assassins fit into this whole thing with the you know the the table and the elders and everything, but sort of more like what the relationships are. With each other and I, I feel like that's kind of been a theme they've they've been sort of building up for the last three movies as well but i think it, uh, i i think that's kind of what the focus of this story was was like you know at what at what point are are, are assassins friends with each other and at what point are they acting in their own interests because of these 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 rules that they've devoted their life and and the lives of others uh to It almost it almost felt like just a like a, a loose end that they needed to tie up to like push the story towards where it was gonna go in this movie. Um yeah, I, I remember the action sequence feeling like, oh, like that's really it. Like it I, I was like Albert, I was admiring the uh 
the familiar landscapes. It's like, oh, that's that's in Star Wars. That's in all these other movies. Um, and then before you know it, it's it's over. Um, and I, I feel like that's kind of the running theme throughout this film is like they they don't really they they they're light on story, like I said at the beginning, and it starts off that way. And um, yeah, it did it feel like it was just kind of trying to tie up a loose end from previous stories to you guys? Um, in the previous movie, he wanted to go after the high table, so I thought he was just gonna. The movie was going to be about him one by one, one by one, picking off members of the high table. But he went for the elder, which, uh, you know, is played by a different actor in this one. It's a different, I think it's supposed to be a different character. Like you kill one, they replace him with another one. I guess that's kind of like the point. Um, I, I kind of just wish the power dynamics, the hierarchy of power, I don't think he should have been able to take out the elder like immediately, you know, which was not a loose end in the previous one. You know, he, he wanted to go after the high table, so maybe show us, show him hunting someone down from the high table. Um, and also, question for you all: the, the Mark Vincent de Gramont, uh, the 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 guy that's played by Bill Skarsgård, is he a member of the high table? Because uh, I actually didn't know this until I looked at Wikipedia. Wikipedia says that he's a senior member of the high table. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought he was like think it someone was, who yeah. worked under them. Oh yeah, that, I, that's I what it was. <laughs> oh, you thought he was a member of the high table? I thought so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's what Wikipedia says. It says uh, Vincent oh. Dickerman, a senior member of the high table, summons New York hotel manager Winston. So that guy, uh, I mean Paul. All right, let's talk about this character because Paul, you were not a fan of him, right? And, and kind of maybe explain why. Well, I mean. I, I really like Bill Skarsgård, the actor, uh, but I think, number one, his accent is just weird. Like, I know he's trying to do a French accent and he is not French. So maybe it's because I've seen him in other things or maybe it's because it's not a good French accent. But, who, you know, what do I know? I'm not French. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, that definitely threw me off a little bit. And uh, I think because his... Um, because of like his stat, his status, like, you know, so I, I didn't know he was a member of the high table, but I knew he was someone really important. Um, someone that the high table entrusted him. And they said in the movie, like they've pulled all their assets and give it to him at, and put it at his disposal. So obviously he was a big deal and he just didn't come off as someone who seemed like, you know, he deserved all that power. He kind of just seemed like some guy, like just some like, stockbroker executive type guy like someone from nepo some, baby yeah or like someone from the from the like a character from the show succession you know i just felt like he belonged in that world uh, so yeah i just i just couldn't buy into it i i think his performance was kind of weird i just thought he was like really miscast but yeah i don't know what you guys think i I don't know. I, I I didn't think he was a bad villain. I I do think that considering what we've seen him do, you feel like they could have made the villain more interesting because of who they cast and they didn't sort of go that direction. I kind of always saw the high table as a bunch of like privileged folks though, too, because they have so much money. Um, 
So, I mean, the fact that it's a marquee doesn't, you know, surprise me that he would be on the high table. I mean, I, I didn't think he was. I, I was actually looking up online, but apparently he is. You're right. He is a he is a he is a member of the high table. But my guess is it kind of works democratically within the council. Like you may be one member, but you're not not above the the table as a whole. Uh, and that's probably why he seems more like a glorified henchman at times. Yeah, Paul, I think I'm with you there. Like, uh, I think the fact that he is supposed to be a member of the high table is surprising to me because he was not acting and behaving that way. He just seems like an entitled a little nepo baby, like, like what we said mm -hmm. uh, before. Um, so, yeah, he didn't seem that powerful. He didn't seem that menacing. I think there were if the, if he's supposed to be a member of the high table, I, I my expectation would be, uh, you know, he he you know he wouldn't use a lot, as many words, you know, to say he would sh you know you would see and they would show you how powerful he is and how scary he is, you know, by what he does. Maybe when Winston and Sharon they 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 come into the room, they see him and then they kind of they're like you know maybe the color drains from their face or something like that. You know, something to, sh to show that this person is someone of power, right? But instead, he seems like uh, the the lady from John Wick 3 who, on behalf of uh, the high table, he, she comes in and conducts like an investigation of what happened in the events of John Wick 2. I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, she kind of had shorter hair. She had like some tattoos. Yeah, the adjudicator. Yeah, adjudicator. Yes, yes, that's her name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, she seems like like she fit her role. Like, well, like, like she represents the high table. She's sent and, and is trying to conduct like uh, the investigation. Uh, this guy seems like he's on her level. You know, he's not, he's again, the hierarchy of power is, uh, is a little bit, it's not clearly communicated, I guess, in this movie. And again, another disappointing thing about this film, because, you know, you've been talking about the high table for the last uh, two movies. And then here we finally get to see someone from the high table. If you compare him to, to uh, uh, what was that? Uh, uh, D'Antonio? Uh, was her name? Gianna D'Antonio from John Wick 2. Mm. Right? She was a member of the high table. And she seemed like she could be a member of, of that exclusive club, you know. Uh, she had she had a million henchmen around her. She had this entire gathering, and she had her own private quarters in this huge, like uh, abandoned, like uh, ancient relic. Uh, so I guess that was kind of like my expectation for for someone of this stature in this world, and we didn't get that. Yeah. Well, I was just reading that, not just reading, but I was reading after I saw the movie yesterday that. They had originally planned for a John Wick 4 and 5 and then scrapped those plans because of, of COVID um, and decided just to try to finish the series at 4. And I'm wondering if that may have compressed the timeline uh, or that they had you know, in mind for those two movies into one movie. Because I, I think, you know, I mean, if I were like a producer and I'm, I, and I obviously can't imagine being one but if i were i'd probably think you know i've got one movie left and i only have these two movies you know that was supposed to be two movies i did decide am i gonna sort of choose between you know uh 
more narrative and world building or John Wick killing a bunch of people. And I think they probably made like this calculation that John Wick killing a lot of people is probably what's gonna, you know, really get people people in. And I, I think it, it it seems to have worked. And I ironically there are hints that there might be a John Wick fight because of how well this movie did. So you know we'll see. I mean I I don't think it's really quite quite the end of it for sure. Well, we do have a spinoff coming uh, called Ballerina, starring Anna de Armas. She plays uh, one of the ballerinas uh, from John Wick 3. And so that's coming. And then there's a post credit scene in this movie that kind of hints at maybe another possible spinoff. I feel like the world of John Wick is big enough uh, without this character. You don't need John Wick for, you know, there's still the Continentals. There's still the high table. So I'm wondering if they would maybe approach it that way. They would kind of flesh out the world more in those other movies. I think it's worth noting that um, as of us recording this today, uh, there have already been articles posted about how Lionsgate really wants them to make John Wick 5. Like the producers are already like, come on, Keanu, just let's, let's, let's get number five going. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens because uh, the director already was like, I think Keanu and I are going to take a break from John Wick, but who knows how powerful the producers and uh, executives are. Well, um, you know, I wish I could be, I should say this, uh, if I was a producer, uh, which, you know, I clearly am not, (laughs) but, uh, you know, just like, just like, uh, I have these ideas of where they could go. Right. And uh, in a, you know, if I was an, a movie studio executive or like a producer, big shot producer, I will let them take a break, right? Uh, they've been going at it for the last like 10 years or so. Uh, and it's tiring. And Keanu Reeves is 58 years old as of now, right? He's going to be 60 soon. And we saw signs of him slowing down in John Wick 3 uh, when he's fighting the uh, Indonesian guys from uh, the raid. Yep. Uh, so, I mean... Hey, we're, we're all human, right? Keanu's human, so he's bound to slow down. Uh, I, I say give them the break that they want. You have Ballerina. You have Donnie Yen's character. So concentrate on these spinoffs, kind of flesh out the world and kind of build these secondary characters. And then, man, just uh, bring him back eventually, right? Maybe he can start cameoing, slowly ramping it up in these other spinoff movies. And then we kind of build towards like a John Wick 5, which has all these characters. So Lionsgate has a, has, has a cinematic universe on their hands, you know, and which is kind of all the rage these days, right? Everyone's trying to build the cinematic universe. The last 10 years, we've seen so many failed attempts, right? DC, Dark Universe, et cetera. Like no one's been able to replicate the Marvel cinematic universe. But here, John Wick, John Wick, clearly there's a huge audience for John Wick, right? It's grown with every single movie, the box office just keeps getting higher and higher for each movie. And so I, I feel like you, they could make a case for b- building that out. I don't know I mean, if that's a good idea, but I think yeah. I, I would definitely be interested in seeing that. I mean, even Marvel is having a hard time replicating what they did, like with the first three phases of their MCU. I, I do kind of wonder, I, I'm okay for for them taking a break because first of all, it's not just Keanu Reeves being the John Wick movies. It's been on a lot of things the last few years, you know, and and I'm sure they've all taken uh, a lot out of him. But uh, I I I I I hope that if Lion, I do want to see 
a sort of you know this sort of shared universe that they're building out based on what John Wick did. But at the same time, I, I just hope they don't overdo it too fast because I, I do think audiences are are kind of tiring of that model. Uh, we'll see what happens later this year. Um, but, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, when I talk to other folks who really aren't that invested in um, the lore as we are, of 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 these John Wick movies, you know, they're only there for two things, right? It's John Wick and his high body count. Like where the body count can outdo the the <laughs> body count in the previous movies. And it clearly does this time for sure. I, I can't, I mean I don't know what the count is. I'm sure somebody will probably have it on YouTube pretty soon enough. But uh um you know so I I, I don't want them to rush into it and I'd rather have them space it out to be frank. Yeah, for sure. Um, audience fatigue is a is a real thing, and we're seeing that with Marvel. So, uh, I, I agree with you there, definitely. And again, we say all this as fans, you know, fans who uh, imagined themselves being uh, movie studio executives. But you know, what do we know? We you know we don't know. We haven't sold our souls yet, that's for sure. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, let's talk about winston okay let's talk about winston and the fact that they declare him excommunicado and then they execute uh sharon i don't i don't even know if i'm pronouncing his name right is it sharon i feel like in the movie they even say a different yeah that's why i thought so too it's like sharon charon yeah karen i don't know (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's like it's like han solo right it's like han and han depending yeah. on you know when at what point in the movie they're saying it okay just we can call a lance reddick rest in peace i know that was hard yeah. to watch just because yeah, of that yeah, i think right yeah yeah i okay i don't understand how they declare winston excommunicado but no one's trying to kill him or off him i'm guessing it's because he didn't like he did his quote-unquote due diligence by killing john wick in the third movie but he survived magically. So they're they're like, they're like, okay, well, you tried to kill him. So at, at least you did your your part. Uh now we just need to kill John Wick again. I don't know. That's All right. Remind me in the movie when they declare him excommunicado, they don't show the ladies in that in that phone room, right? Uh writing on the board, excommunicado Winston. No, I don't think so. Okay. All right. So yeah, I guess I would kind of wish they explained uh, that because I, I thought excommunicado means you violating the rules of the continental means uh, that you know you, they're going to execute you in some way, or they're they're going to they're going to send their assassins to to murder you, basically. Yeah, I don't know. I guess he just he gets lucky. He gets a lucky break. Um... See, just, these aren't these aren't questions that I had in chapter two or the first movie or even the third movie. You know, uh, I feel like there's so many loose ends already. We're still talking about the first act, and there's already these things that they didn't really explain and build out. So um, it's a little disappointing that uh, that this movie kind of drops the ball in that area. The fact that the four of us saw it this weekend, and you know, none of us can actually kind of explain that. Uh, that's kind of a I don't know, kind of a sign, I, I think. But anyways. Uh, for me, that's important. That's an important thing. But you know, uh, so uh, I think most people watching these movies, they don't care. They they just want to see the body count. Um, all right. So Donnie Yen's character, Kane. Uh, what did you guys think of him? 
What did you guys think of the Osaka Continental sequence? My first thought was he's blind again. Um, why does he always <laughs> yeah. have to be blind? <laughs> um, but he, definitely a way better character and use uh, like implementation of his blindness in this movie than in Rogue One. Um, I thought he was great. Um, super charismatic. Um, super cool. Uh, and I loved the entire Osaka sequence. It that's probably like the best part of the movie, in my opinion. Um, I just enjoyed like being in this world, and it felt like there was a world being built. There was some elements of, you know, like we're seeing like what the environment or like the uh, the climate of that that area was. But um, yeah, I mean, all of it was pretty solid, in my opinion. It's it's a way more uh, crowded than the New York Continental. Yeah, the New York Continental when we first see it, there's barely anyone in there, and this one's like packed with like what seems like tourists, but obviously they're all assassins. I'm like something about Japan and like murdering people, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're just a better run, you know, place to stay. It looks like way more modernized and like clean and. Super slick. Pro- yeah. Probably the Sushi. food. Everyone, all, all the assassins are there for the food. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a cool sequence. Uh, I I liked I liked the introduction of all the side characters here. Um, Kiryuki Sonata, of course. The moment I saw him, I was like, oh, okay. he's obviously going to use a katana some sometime in the movie because I don't think he's ever been in a movie where he doesn't use a katana. Someone please prove me wrong because I would love to see that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love him. Uh, I don't know who the name of the daughter was, uh, but uh, she plays Akira in the movie. Uh, but I thought she was really good too. Uh, like she she held her own in the in all the fight scenes. Um, and I think like her, because she she's basically Lance Reddick's character, but in Japan, right? She's the concierge. So right. yeah. yeah, yeah. So I like the idea that all of them can fight. Like that's just... Yeah, it's just cool. And uh, the implementation of the sumo wrestlers being just these big brutes. Also awesome. Didn't have to use guns or anything to kill them. That was really cool. Um, and yeah, that I think that kind of just speaks to like the world of John Wick that is like, you know, you can explore different, different countries, different cultures, uh, and how they approach murder <laughs> in different ways. Uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, I uh, I can't uh, add anything to what uh, Job said about Donnie Yen. Uh, <laughs> it's my my thoughts exactly. But uh, regarding the Osaka Kanadeno, um, uh, there's something about uh, you know how Japan appears in cinema, where there's this. I feel like there's this idea of what it it looks like rather than what it actually is that always never sits too well with me uh yeah, this is this is like the bullet train version it's, i was thinking of bullet train when i was <laughs> yeah. doing that whole scene and and you know to be fair i i mean i don't know osaka does i've been there a few times it does feel like the most quote street unquote of of all the major japanese cities right there's this sort of slight grunge to it that you know all the other major cities don't have and but uh, i i think I was sort of a, able to sort of set it aside a little um, because, you know, everything in John Wick has to look like it, it, you know, a rave can happen there, like at any moment. So, 
so <laughs> so i thought about that i was like okay i i'll i'll uh I'll let that one go. That being said, I, I thought the action was really good. Uh, in some ways, I, I can see, um, uh, I think, Paul, what you said about, or was it Joe, one of you said about the action scenes being um, better than the last one in this movie. Uh, there is sort of a rawness to it uh, that that fits in more with, you know, the other fights and the rest of the, the, the three preceding movies uh, that, that that works so yeah i mean other than that yeah totally enjoyed it yeah i i agree with you guys uh i thought it was a great sequence as well uh i think some some things i want to point out that i thought were cool uh the fact that the representative of the high table who shows up uh he kind of speaks spanish i'm like oh that's the first time we're hearing spanish in this world i think correct me if i'm wrong but I don't recall, I, you know, we've heard Russian, we've heard, uh, we've heard Japanese so far, we've uh, heard Italian, right? Uh, but yeah, no, no uh, Spanish. So I thought that was kind of cool. Like, and the potential of this world, right? The world of John Wick is that there's a continental in every country. And so the fact that we are getting a Spanish speaker uh, kind of shows like, yeah, there's so much more we've yet to cover in this world. So I thought that was cool. Um, the fact that the the men from the high table who arrive, all the henchmen, they have they have armor on their face, so you can't do headshots like how you normally would. So I love how John Wick uh, and I guess the uh, the people of the uh, of the Osaka Continental they they adapt to it by shooting freaking in the crack between the the neck area. <laughs> so um, I, I like that little adaptation. They're you know to take a couple of shots. You know, kind of disorient them a little bit and then just go for the neck. It's funny though, because probably the most remarkable thing about the world of John Wick is that even mask or no mask, uh, apparently everyone can sustain at least two shots to the head because it seems like everyone has to get like quadruple tapped in order to finally be dead. Like even at the end when they're not wearing anything like it, like their helmet or a mask, like John Wick still shoots stuff like so many times before they die. Uh, which is, I mean, that's just putting more work on them, but they make it good. So, I think, I think, okay, if I, I think one piece of feedback I would say is just to trim maybe the action down, maybe by like, like ten to fifteen seconds for each each segment, because I, I did feel like at some points it was getting long. When he starts, uh, when Keanu brings out the nunchucks, I'm like, okay, so now they're changing it up finally. Like, uh, but I was already starting to feel the fatigue at that point. It could be because I I binged uh, John Wick one two three, uh, the weekend before, so I'm like, I think all those action scenes were already fresh in my mind. So it's just kind of like inundated with that. Uh, it kind of grows tiring. It's kind of like I I kind of think about it like in Star Wars during the uh, space battles, uh. You know, I'm probably in the minority in this one also, but uh, I kind of start tuning out uh, during the space battles just because it's just like crap flying everywhere and it's just a lot, lots of noise. But you can't really make out what's happening. I mean, uh, the action is this, in this is a lot easier to kind of digest, but I think it's just more of the same thing over and over. You know, he's going to shoot people two, three times in the chest and then once in the head, two or three times in the head, and if, or flip them over. He's going to do that, that. Uh, he's going to jump on their neck and then you know throw them to the ground uh so 
it just it kind sure, of it sure felt like they were just like look at our choreography look at it like in all caps you know just like yeah yeah look at how good this is and 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 it is good right it, it's super good but but i completely agree after a while you're like okay like you know john wick just shot this guy in the head like eight times and he did not die you know and also like slit his throat and he did not die (laughs) it's like okay what's going on like there's almost like no even though the action felt visceral and every every hit looked like it hurt a lot like it also felt like there was no weight to it because like people just weren't getting taken out i mean i mean that's i feel like that's part of the genre a little bit but but i completely agree like yeah like trim like 10 seconds off of each each sequence maybe but i think they were just really like pleased with their themselves in a way the filmmakers which <clears throat> i can't blame them <laughs> yeah yeah i mean they should be proud of their work i mean it's it's like some of the best ever um i think maybe drawing from the raid 2 which is like one of my favorite action films of all time i feel like they could add in like breaking of bones uh, to add to that, you know, maybe you run out of bullets, so you start hand-to-hand combat, and then you're just smashing people with, you know, like, you know, you're breaking their arms, twisting it into positions. I don't know. It's like, I feel like the Raid 2 is an example of, like, a lot of action, but they're doing something different each. Like, one girl has a hammer, one guy has a bat and a baseball, uh, and then sometimes you fight both at the same time, and there's a guy with hooks, so... I I feel like uh they could they could take a page from the raid uh moving forward. I, I think it's tricky because this is similar to how I feel about Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible, which is that these movies started becoming really, really good when they've are they're already like pretty old. Uh because I think what you guys are saying is I totally agree with, but I think if they try to implement that, it, it just wouldn't look good because Keanu is like getting up there in age like that's why for people watching or for people just listening i mean my zoom background is the john wick three fight scene where he's fighting the guys from the raid specifically the scene where he slaps them on the head and it's it's like he's like patting them on the head like oh good job boy because that part was like the one part in john wick three where i was like okay this is ridiculous he's clearly not doing any damage to him um and i think it's just there were times where in the third movie i was like he, he's too old for this man like he needs to just stick to guns and stuff so i think they kind of leaned more heavily into that um he does some like grappling and at times he kind of like shows his age with some of the grapple moves but i think they are smart in that they do more gun foo um but it's one of those things where it's like man keanu would have killed this like if this was like 20 years ago you know uh, but it it's it's interesting because you know keanu's 58 years old but you know, going back to Donnie Yen, Donnie Yen's 59 years old and he looked really good in this movie. Like he was, maybe it's because of us Asians and our genes, but I mean, dude, he, he was really good. Um, so it, it is tricky. Like going forward, it, we t- already talked a little bit about the future of this franchise. It's like, you kind of want to take a little break, but at the same time, like Keanu's not getting any younger. So uh, I think this is the whole conversation of like, can this universe survive without him? Which I think it can, but I think, yeah, I, I totally agree with you guys about the fight scenes, but yeah, I think if he tried doing more physical hand-to-hand stuff, it would have been like, nah, man. 
I mean, I know. I guess the way I saw it was like, and they are to echo a bit what Paul said. I, I always felt like those. It was very intentional to make him look more tired and sloppy. You be uh, you know, as as the you know series kind of moved up and in in the numbers because I feel like he's running a marathon. So his his you know he's just trying yeah. to make it in that final sprint is how I I've always you know seen why he fights the way he does and I, to me I I think it's actually more interesting that he's sloppy and 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 you you just don't know who's going to sort of you know graze him at any given moment it's actually kind of what I like about these fight scenes is that it's not so slick it doesn't feel so polished and and I I I I so in a way I feel like that's got to be intentional because they could make it slick if they want I mean he looks tired but it's not like he can't take breaks and they can just, you know, clean them off. Or they, they're, they're trying to make these as long to show you, in my opinion, that, you know, he's got to kill a lot of people to finally get to this point. But he's at that point where he's probably at the end of his rope. So I, that's how I saw it, though. I always find it more interesting when, when in, 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 in these movies, when the, the fights, uh, it takes a long time to get someone, you know, to kill them. And I, I think back to, the, the Rina Sawa, uh, I forgot her last name, but the Kira character, the way she sort of took down that big dude was also probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie mm-hmm. because it's, it, you know, she's fighting so he's like five times her size. So she, she's the way she kills him is it's so unbelievably sloppy, but kind of, you know, very interesting at the same time. You know, it's, it shows that these people are determined <laughs> to uh to if they want to kill someone they'll kill someone so yeah 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 i i i can i can definitely see that um and understand that it, it it's just really hard to reconcile that with like just the essence of who john wake is supposed to be in this movie because they call him baba yaga right the guy you call if you want to kill the boogeyman and then also it's like you, I, I totally see like you do want to make him feel exhausted and stuff because he's gone through so much and yet his body count gets bigger and bigger at the end of each movie. So it's just like, well, maybe we could have him kill less people and just, I don't know, make each fight more intricate or I don't know. Yeah, it's it's definitely hard to juggle these things. All right. So uh, in the next section of the movie, uh, we in, we are in New York. And then Winston is at Sharon's gravesite, and John Wick visits, and Winston basically tells him to challenge uh, De Gramont to a duel to win freedom from the high table. But in order to do this, John has to request a duel on uh, behalf of a crime family. So uh, he has to go to Berlin. He has to kill a German high table senior in order to rejoin the Ruska Roma, which we saw in John Wick 3. And uh, during the sequence, Mr. Nobody is also introduced. I thought this was the weakest segment in the movie. Um, I think you could have cut this out and just gone straight to Paris. Uh, so this is what kind of pushed the movie into the three hour, towards the three hour mark. Um, I just did not really care about him reintegrating himself into this crime family and him uh, going to Berlin. And I didn't know this guy, the German high table senior, the guy who looks like the penguin from Batman. Um, I didn't know that he he was a member of the high table. Again, this is from Wikipedia. So wow, yeah. So 
you know, I guess maybe that's why he was hard to kill. Uh, he just seemed like a, a regular gangster in, in, in Berlin or something. Um, so, you know, the action scene was cool. It's just kind of more of what we've seen, you know, a lot of gun foo. And Paul and I were kind of laughing uh, when we were watching this together because uh, the the high table guy, he's really big. He's a big boy. And when he does a roundhouse kick and kicks uh, John Wick, we're like, oh, shoot, this guy's yeah. <laughs> that's pretty nuts. Yeah. This guy, <laughs> no nice. wonder he's in the high table. <laughs> so when he uh, smiled and revealed his his uh metal teeth the this guy in front of me burst out laughing like out loud in the theater <laughs> oh, wow i mean like it wasn't that goofy but like yeah that that was kind of like how i felt inside is like what are we doing here like like <laughs> what's what is happening um i did enjoy that fight though because this this uh this high table guy. I, I I also thought he was just a local thug. I did not know he was a member of the high table. Um, it's like this is where some exposition, a little extra, would have been nice. But at, we're neither here nor there on that. Um, yeah, I I love that. Um, in this to continue the theme of what we were saying earlier, like people characters in this world refuse to die no matter what. He gets shot in the butt. He gets like punched yeah, endlessly, right. you know, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, and then he, okay. So the roundhouse kicks happen after he gets shot in the ass. Like, Oh, I didn't <laughs> think about that. Like, That's how right. is this possible? <laughs> is he wearing awesome. armor on his butt cheeks? Like, yeah. is that what's or, going or he on just here? absorbed the bullet inside and just integrated <laughs> it into his body. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it was kind of, it was just goofy and, like kind of there was there was such like a i don't know it, it felt like such a serious lead up to it where it's like okay you gotta get our approval by offing this this one guy and you know it feels like there's like religion involved in all of it you know um he was at the church a lot there's a lot of symbolism and then there's this guy with metal teeth and like that looks like the penguin discount penguin you know like yeah it's kind i mean of a don't don't forget mr nobody who is there right some sometimes he's killing people for john wick and sometimes he's going after john wick and i get it i get what kind of person he's supposed to be he's supposed to be like you know he doesn't have any allegiances he's doing it for the money whatever uh but I just did not find him that interesting. Uh, there's a better dog assassin character in John Wick 3 and Halle Berry. So this guy, I, I just did not care for him. I'm like, why don't you just bring back Halle Berry or something? <laughs> yeah, I think the story kind of undermined what could have made his character interesting is just by taking out these people to sort of raise the bounty uh, on John Wick, right? But it just doesn't make sense when that bounty applies to everyone else who's trying to kill him. So it's just, it, I, I think that whole scene was pretty messy. Um, yeah, I just, I, I have to say that I agree with you all. The middle wasn't very strong for me narratively. And they also sort of blew a few chances to world build here. Cause if they were going to do any world building, it should have been in this part. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's a lot of things are just alluded to, right. Like that he comes from a, I forgot what you call those people. Russians always sort of use them historically, 
um, for their own military purposes. But uh, was it Cossacks? I think so. That uh, they're, they're they're Cossacks, and they're kind of sort of the same. They serve the same use for for the table in a way. I I think they could have built something up on there. More interesting narrative. More interesting background. Um, and and they kind of did it. It was just kind of like, oh great, you know, it's Keanu in another rave scene. That always goes well. But um, uh, yeah, uh, while I enjoyed what action did take place, it was kind of hard to grasp or comprehend very quickly what was going on. There's this one very long cut where 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 I forgot what his name was. Uh, the 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 uh, the high table member to teeth. What was his name? Um. Anyways, the boss. Let's call right? him the penguin. Let's call him right. Yeah, we'll call him the penguin, and then he's going after him. It's a long sequence, and then it cuts back to where uh, Kane and Mister Nobody are. That's right, and That's they're right. finishing up. That. But it's like such a long time. It's like, well, yeah, why are right. they still doing that after? I mean, I understand elapsed time, but it's that was a little too too much of a big beat. His name is. Scott Adkins is the name of the actor, and his character's name is apparently Killa. I thought Scott <laughs> Adkins was his character name, and I was like, dude. <laughs> no, that would have been awesome, though. <laughs> Call me Scott That's Adkins. almost more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Scott Adkins. Yeah. It's a Vincent de Gramont and Scott Adkins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree with all you guys. And this, this was, yeah, this, this was my least favorite part of the film as well and i'm with you mike i i think uh mr nobody or the tracker or whatever like i think he's the second worst character in this movie behind bill skarsgård he just doesn't seem very interesting because his whole niche is he has a dog and he kills he's an assassin it's like oh where where have we seen that before oh yeah john wick he he, he had a dog and uh he's a killer so whenever There's you just cool try to book though Oh yeah, he does, and he—he's a very good artist. Yeah, he—he he yeah, has very beautiful artist. sketches. Yeah. He's supposed to be a character who gets in way, in my opinion, is supposed to be built to get in way over his head, right? And you never quite feel the weight of it. But once again, everything here, I think, is meant to serve, <laughs> like like a convenient, you know, plot device or something. All right, I think, uh, yeah, unanimous. Uh, this is uh, probably the weakest part of the film. Uh, but the next part, I think, is the strongest, and it kind of redeems uh, a lot of what comes came before. So we get to Paris. Uh, De Grant tries to prevent John Wick from arriving at the duel by placing a 26 million bounty on him. And John Wick has to basically fight his way to soccer core. Um <laughs> There are a couple of things like, you know, when they have this meeting, um, you know, at the table and they kind of flip over these uh, pieces on like a chessboard type thing uh, to kind of decide where they're going to hold, where they're going to hold what uh, the the duel, where, what kind of weapons they can use. I just thought it was funny that they did this right in front of the Eiffel Tower and there's no time of the day where there's not a single person there. Uh, and it can look completely empty. I'm like, what kind of bizarre world or like VR simulation is this? Is, this John Wick takes place in that where where like not a single person there, you know? And it kind of again, 
it's set in the real world where there's real people like in John Wick 2 they're they're in the um what's that oh gosh what's that metro station called in New York uh the really amazing architecture the the Oculus yeah they're in the Oculus uh, and there's plenty of civilians there's like thousands of civilians there you know as John Wick and Common they're trying to shoot each other with their silencers right so they're interacting in the real world in a real space that is populated by civilians but in Paris, in the scene in Paris, there's like, there's nothing, there's no one, you know, it's as if the high table cleared that entire area for this meeting between these, these, these people. That's kind of what my impression was actually. Yeah. Be- yeah. I, I was just thinking because at the end of John Wick two, everyone freezes uh, when uh, you know, he, he gets put on excommunicado. Right. So maybe he does control the high table controls everyone. And then they're like, all right, Everyone who's at the Eiffel Tower just leave. <laughs> so maybe that's so what these are like secret Matrix sequels. <laughs> yeah. I just don't know it. Yeah, this is the Matrix Resurrections uh, we deserved. Um, <laughs> I'll agree with that for sure. Also, um, the Bowery King shows up, and literally Lawrence Fisherman's role in this movie is to give Keanu Reeves a suit, and that's literally all he does. He's yeah. in the beginning of the movie. He brings a suit to John Wick. And then here he shows up in Paris with another suit and he kind of gives him a ride on this boat to, uh, okay, so John asks the Bowery King to drop him off close to the church, close to soccer court. He gets dropped off at the Eiffel Tower and uh, <laughs> those places are It has to not... look cool. It has yeah. to, I know, I know, I've been to Paris. I know, I understand what you're saying. It, yeah, I know where things are in relation to each I'm other. I'm like, what? He got dropped off there? Like, I saw like, I just, just, just movies, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but, but then just say just like, hey, I'll drop you off somewhere. Why? What? He says soccer court, but he gets dropped off at the Eiffel Tower. I'm like, come on. I I remember laughing at uh, it's angels and demons because I remember Rome really well, and they would like literally be in the scene, like you know, in front of the Vatican, and then they would say, "I have to, we have to go to this place," and they were like, jump in the car, shove the car going. And the location they would go to would literally be like a place that was like right of Vatican City, like literally a five or ten minute walk, you know, <laughs> or or even less less than that and run if you go there. And it's just, you know, they kind of I think it's just something movies like to do sometimes with like exotic locales. It's like London, right? Like we always see like James Bond speeding up from from, you know, parliament or you know in the older movies from bucking but and it makes the distance seem so long but they're literally like it's like a 10 minute walk you know so it's just i don't know it's movie magic i suppose yeah he just didn't have to say soccer he could have said something else you know just, just drop me off somewhere <laughs> has to look coy there have to be cars yeah, so. yeah yeah i'm okay with i'm okay with it but you know just getting a little i'm getting a little nitpicky i guess um all right, so this sequence is what I think all the critics are talking about. This is what everyone coming out of the movie, I feel like, uh, is saying, like, this is why John Wick 4 is so awesome. It's the Paris sequence. And for me, uh, specifically, it's the sequence at the Arc de Triomphe where it, it, I mean, the best way I could describe it is it's like a Mortal Kombat level. He's fighting these guys and they're throwing each other into cars that are passing by. It, it kind of reminds me of old school Mortal Kombat 3 where, you know, you can uppercut people and they, and they go into the background or they go up, they, they fly into the ceiling or something, you know. Uh, so I, I just love 
how they took advantage of how there's like ongoing traffic. They incorporated that into the fight scene. And one of my favorite parts is when this car hits a guy, he flips in the air and the guy's in the air spinning and John, John Wick just starts shooting him while he's in the air. Uh, you know, that made me get up out of my seat and, and just like clap, you know, I clap like an idiot, you know, so uh, it, it's it's those things that I, I look forward to with the uh, John Wick movies as well. So uh, I'm glad I got to do it finally uh, in this sequence. Uh, this was an awesome fight sequence. Yeah. Music, the music helps a lot too. Music was great. Action was great. Yeah. And the cars never stopped this whole time. Yeah. Like, okay. And we got to mention too. Car. Uh, the Paris Police Department is non-existent. Like, not a single cop shows up <laughs> to any of this stuff. Yeah, and, and this is in the middle of the, the night, right? Out. They got oh man, sure, bought up by the high table. Okay, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. it's possible. It's I'm very just possible. trying to explain it. You know, we we have we're we're forced to fill in the gaps because mm-hmm. you know. I mean, okay, so in John Wick One, right? John Wick One, he has that shootout in his house. That's like the first action sequence in the movie. And the cops show up at his doorstep because they, you know, there's he gets noise complaints from his neighbors. Uh, but then when we see he kind of like, oh, I'm just sorting things out. They're like, oh, okay, sure, no problem. You know, but at least the cops did show up. Uh in Paris, millions of people, cars passing by everywhere. Yeah, not a single cop, not a single officer, security guard shows up to kind of figure out what's going on. But again, I mean, it looks like, awesome though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just uh poking fun at the movie um yeah like you said joe uh it could be very well that the high table paid him off another very small nitpick and we talked i i whispered this to you when we were watching together mike like 26 million come on man that's like chump change for baba yega dude like the ba- the bounty needs to be something more formidable like i don't know i mean not, not that I'm saying 26 million is something to scoff at, but for for someone like John Wick, it's got to be like, I don't know, like 500 million, right? Yeah, that's, that's I, why Mister Nobody was was shooting up everybody, right? And up the price, right? But see, that's what kind of really kind of bugged me was that every time he got the price higher, you know, it, it it'd be the same for everyone. So it doesn't make him that much yeah. more special. Yeah, it really didn't make sense in right. that sense. Yeah. Well, uh, if you were so in like John Wick one, the bounties were like one million, five million. So I think twenty five million is, is unheard of in this world. Uh, it's like five times the amount that they normally would offer. So uh, uh, I, I think I, I think you could kind of argue that uh, the, from the movie's point of, point of view. Maybe inflation hasn't hit that that world yet. You know. <laughs> So it's it would be forty five million starting out, but it's only twenty. That's the canon I choose to believe. <laughs> I I did like um interspersing the uh announce the radio announcer like like egging the uh, bounty hunters on basically. I thought that was a cool part of this whole sequence, and it was like a convenient way to add the needle drops, like the 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 change of music to like be the soundtrack of this i just thought it was pretty clever how they kind of interspersed all that that was fun yeah yeah that was fun that was yeah fun. Uh, i, I part, think oh, uh sorry, yeah, oh sorry I, I was just gonna say like the arc de triumph scene was great but um i think the the fight scene where it becomes like hotline miami like the uh top down point of view 
and literally becomes like a video game. I think that was my favorite section in the film. Yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I just think when it backs, when the camera like slowly backs, like goes up into the sky, I was like, oh, heck yeah. And then I just felt like everything that was the way that they filmed that whole thing is just really impressive. I was, I was really, I was really enjoying uh, that whole sequence. I, I remember being wowed by a similar Sean Minority report. I don't know if you remember that scene. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Right. And then the fact that they sort of took it up to sort of a next level because it's sort of like the, the, the camera sort of starts off from sort of the, you know, the not point of view, Gr- but sort ground, of, level. Go, ground level. And then it slowly moves up and then it's moving. And I'm like, you know, whatever, you know, quibbles I have with this film you know for just this scene alone it's like you know this this movie can't there are certain scenes in the movie where you know like a movie can never be like under a certain rating um for you and yeah, like, once yeah, they yeah, got yeah, that sure. too, I was like for me this movie is never never gonna be below four stars just because you know, of that scene so four stars yeah. on letterbox on letterbox on letterbox yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah, I, I love the sequence too. And uh, they actually brought in, reused a song from the very first movie the uh, in the club scene. And I only know this because I watched that club scene probably 16 times in my life, 18 times. Uh, that, that, that was like one of my favorite things in the first movie. Um, so when I heard the song come up again, I was like, oh, shoot, they're doing it. Yeah, and then he has that flame gun, which, uh, you know, it's kind of like um, in The Last of Us, right? In The Last of Us in the game, the last weapon that you acquire that's new is the machine gun and you only get to use it in that last sequence and to it kind of reminded me of that in um in this the top down sequence in in uh john wick four uh because like that's a gun that we've never seen him use and he just and this is it this is the only time he uses it yeah and i think the like the animations like the sprites for like the cone of damage quote unquote the, i think that was intentionally to make it like this is the most video gamey part of the movie yeah, there's a there's one part where he uh he slides under or he slides below like uh or uh, off the side of a table and he's like trying to duck under the table while uh, the people are coming in, but seeing it from a top down point of view that it's just offered this such a unique perspective that you know in most movies you would just see it he's behind it right and we see the 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 henchman come in you know it's like multiple shots but seeing it from a top down view I thought that was like really cool. And he just uh, he slid out from the, the table and started just blasting him with a flame gun. That was cool. All right. And then the final, uh, I guess the third act of this sequence is the staircase in soccer core going up. Um, this was a ton of fun, uh, just like the other sequences. Um, just any thoughts on this? Have you guys been there before, the soccer core? No, I, I have. Did you walk it? I don't remember. I remember it was very high up. And, yeah, and like, yeah. It was like a hill. And right. I remember Moulin Rouge was at the bottom. Right. I think I may have taken a similar path. So I had a lot of enjoyment watching him go up that hill. It was like, oh, yeah. It was a tiring thing to walk up, if I recall. So um, now yeah. imagine rolling down. Once you get to near the top, rolling Dude. all the way down. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's let's talk about that. Okay. He's gotten hit by I don't know five or six cars at this point, and then when he falls down the hill, <laughs> so sorry, when he falls down the staircase, I'm like, okay. At some point, it's a little too much, right? Like, like it, it starts becoming very cartoony, 
Um, and, and I didn't want this movie to to kind of ver- go into that territory of you know being like a cartoon because because uh, I feel like the first two movies were very grounded. Third, you know, the action scenes are are grounded in reality, and you, you're supposed to kind of feel the pain that he feels. So I think when he's getting hit by six cars and then falls down like the entire flight of stairs, uh, it's just, uh, yeah, it was a little too much. I mean, it worked, though. Like, I remember the audience was going, oh, no, and groaning yeah. every, every time. So, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. It is kind of cartoony. Uh, there's no one's, no way someone can roll down that many stairs without being okay. dead or something. It but. reminds me of the third movie. The issue, an issue that I had in the third movie was because it's, it takes place right after the second movie. So he's been awake for like 48 hours straight and he's killed like 250 people and he's gotten shot. He's gotten stabbed and injured and he's still going without any breaks in the third movie from the second movie. So I'm just like, dude, uh, you got to let the guy have a break or you got to make it at least like, you know, believable that this could happen to someone. But I mean, what isn't that part of the character though? It's not like how how whether he kills with finesse. It's just you're not, you know, going back to the first movie, you're just not gonna be able to stop him, is 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 the thing with him, right? I mean, oh that's that's I, how I, think, I saw it. Yeah. yeah. I think uh the character then probably needs something, some kind of strong motivation that we feel. Uh, in this, he's just trying to earn his freedom from the high table, which, you know, in the third movie, he 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 um, he goes against the high table after trying to, you know, earn earn the ability to clear his name. You know, so it's kind of like his fault that he's in this scenario. So I, I just kind of feel like that's the motivation for clearing his name is, you know, it's not he's not afraid to die. You know, he's kind of lost all that he has loved in the in the world and his uh life away from the assassins and so like what if it was his wife that he was fighting for i i, I get it you know if it was you know people who killed his dog i, I understand that but in this one I, I think his motivation for for going through all that doesn't i don't know it's just i i guess i didn't feel it i wasn't feeling it from from the movie yeah i feel like we're meant to realize or feel like they they even allude to this um in dialogue sometimes where it's like oh he's just like a ghost at this point he's just wandering around like he doesn't really have any motivation left and i think we're supposed to feel like or like their intention was oh he's just on autopilot he's just achieving goals because that's all he has left or something but but like yeah it 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 kind of doesn't it kind of rings hollow especially when you put him through this much abuse and he like keeps going. It's just like, there's no like cathartic feeling to it, you know? Um, And yeah, like to, to speak to the comedic aspect of this whole sequence, like it's, it's awesome. There's a lot of great action, but like when he keeps rolling down, like the theater was laughing and, and I don't think that was the intent, right? Like I think they were trying to make us feel like, no, no, like, and feel this like oh my gosh like this hopelessness maybe unless it was meant to be comical but i i I don't feel like the tone called for it but it was comical in i don't know what do you guys did you guys feel that yeah i I was laughing out loud for sure yeah Yeah. i'm right there with you i i I was kind of like 
he's gonna fall down all the steps like from the top yeah, like, to the bottom all of them he won't like yeah, grab like, a rail or not something. even like halfway but no yeah grab a, <laughs> grab a railing <laughs> yeah it was almost like okay let's um it's almost like he wanted to keep rolling or something like maybe he was hoping he would die <laughs> no, like maybe he was hoping he would die maybe you know like i don't know I, I mean, then they need him. They need to build tension, right? He's only got like two. Well, I don't even know if this part made any sense. Two or three minutes, right, to the goal. And, right, right, right. Although I think that whole scene took more than three minutes, but I don't yeah. know. I was like, yeah, keeping yeah, track. Sure. Um, Donnie Yen shows up at the bottom, oh, and yes. then they team up to fight their way to the top. And I'm just wondering what caused them to change sides so suddenly. Mm-hmm. What did you guys make of that? My question exactly. I was like, did 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 I miss a moment of dialogue that like signaled that this change was coming? I mean, they sat in the church like the night before or something like that and talked about how um Kane was like, Oh, it's good to be with friends, you know, like or like I'm happy to be here with you. I missed you, but I'm I'm gonna like kill you, like or something. It was <laughs> yeah. it was strange. And then and it's like, please get to the top, John. And I'm like, what? And then, and then, and then at the end, which we'll get to, right? Like, there's this mutual understanding they seem to have that, like, I just didn't see. Like, are we supposed to fill in the blanks there, or did I miss it? I, I was concerned I missed it because it was getting late, and like we were approaching hour three of the showing, and I don't know, like. And the people around us were like talking already. Like they, like it's, I, I don't, I don't want to make this review about the theatrical experience, but it was such a big part of it for me. And it felt like the audience was like disengaging by, by this point or getting close to it, you know? So. I, I mean, the way I interpreted that scene was like, no matter who was going to come out on top, these, these two assassins are, sure believers in fate and at least being able to meet each other in, in in a duel was was part of that i mean once again that's that's how i saw it and because you know they were trying very hard not to make donnie yen like a quote bad guy right unquote it's just he had his motive and he i think they kind of wanted to show him that he wasn't without a sense of honor or or fair play i mean that's how i saw it but no. Yeah, I, I saw it as a mix of two things. Uh, one, they are old friends. Um, they didn't want to do this. Uh, and Donnie Yen specifically didn't want to do this because his daughter was involved, you know, and his life pretty much hinges on the welfare of his daughter. And so one, they're friends. And two, I think Bill Skarsgård kind of makes it clear to him that like, he can't be released from the hold of the high table unless he co- accomplishes his goal of killing John Wick. So there could be one of those, you know, who knows what the high table and their weird rules, but it's like, well, John Wick didn't make it to the thing. So we executed him, but you didn't kill him. So that means you're still on the leash, you know? Uh, so uh, we still yeah. get to own you or whatever. So, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible that, you know, he had a stake in, you know, John Wick making it to the top. So. Excellent. That, that actually explains a lot in in my head. So thanks. (laughs) Well, then why couldn't he just like 
cut John Wick at the bottom of the staircase and just stab him. Because because the duel is it's we need be a pistols, duel, man. The it's duel is the, the deal, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> All right, yeah. So let's get to the deal. So uh, Kane uh-huh. aids John. They fight their way up, which is pretty awesome. And then um, basically he nearly kill kills John. All right, but then um, but then uh, De Gramont uh, he. Uses one of the rules, uh, could it grace or something like that? So he basically swaps places with Kane for the fourth round, but then John st- uh, never took a shot. And so he uses yeah. that to basically shoot him in the head. Uh, and I was yeah. so satisfied because uh, I hate look, look, Dick Ramon, this freaking Nepo baby. I <laughs> <laughs> guess what he deserves, Mr. Entitled. Uh, and then so basically Kane and John get their freedom from the high table. And Winston is reinstated. Speaking of Winston, I kind of don't like where his character went in this movie. All he was after was, oh, I want my hotel back, you know? And <laughs> like, what happened to the, the guy from John Wick 2 or John Wick 3 who, you know, wanted to basically save his friend, you know, by not actually killing him? Uh, in John Wick 2, he gives him an hour head start before the excommunicado. Uh, order uh went through so uh yeah it, it just in this movie he just seemed kind of like a chump you know like, i know he suggested duel in the first place but then but then like it just seems like he's only in it for his self-interest kind of sleazy right like it kind of felt like he was just wheeling and dealing to get his way again like instead right, of yeah. any like noble interest um which i guess if you're if you lose everything and lose your concierge, like I guess a hotel manager losing a concierge is a big deal. So I mean I I I thought overall this this was sort of a good ending, but the only probably my biggest disappointment with the movie overall was I, I thought it'd be sort of they'd find a way of sort of ending all of this. Because I, I thought that, you know, there'd be a point where the assassin say, you know what, this is freaking ridiculous. You know, <laughs> the the rules we're bound to and, and we're all friends. And why are we doing this? You know, let's just take the whole thing down. I, I kind of thought I would go this way, but uh, go that go a certain way halfway through the movie. But that never happened. Um, <laughs> I mean, of course, that's just my own ending, though. And I know that these people have a, who make these movies have a franchise to build. Uh, that being said, I thought it was a very tense the duel was a very tense, beautiful sequence. And yeah, I felt very satisfying when the marquee, you know, guys come muffins and, um, and, you know, it's good. To, it's also good to see, I have to know Clancy Brown as well. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So on, on the big screen. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with you, Albert. Um, I mean, it's, it's funny because one of the things I, I said to Mike after the movie ended, it was like, boy, I wish they kind of, showed at least some of the high table members and, and killed them. And it wasn't until this podcast that I found out all those people were high table members. So uh, that they definitely did not do a good job of like saying we are the high table people because yeah, it, it just, that part didn't seem very conclusive um, and, and not terribly satisfying in the overarching scheme of things. But I agree. Bill Skarsgård's death was perfectly fitting for his character and I, I, I think i think they are saving 
there are saving some more reveals for future movies, right? Uh, we, we know that there are spinoffs coming. There's a TV show coming. So I think we're going to see a little bit more. Um, uh, John basically walks over to the stairs uh, and then he reflects on his life and his marriage. And then he seems to succumb to his injuries. And then um, basically sometime later, Winston and the Bowery King, they bid farewell to John. Uh, he's buried next to his wife, Helen, right? And then we have a post-credit scene in this movie uh, where Donnie Yen's character, Kane, is walking towards his daughter, but then uh, Akira from the Osaka Continental approaches him. All right, and then we cut to black. Uh, how did you all feel about... First of all, is he dead? And second of all, how how do you all feel about it? Purposely made ambiguous. So they can bring him back whenever they want. Depends on the how powerful those studio execs are. Yeah. The thing that clued me in was the dog lifted its head like it was it was uh, looking at someone. Ah. I felt like it was a little too. Yeah, I felt like that scene was almost too rushed to let the gravity mm. of the death sink yeah. in. And and the way I think, uh, gosh, I forgot Ian McShane's character again, um, Winston. Winston, the way he sort of slyly said, who knows, when when asked uh, whether Wick, he thought Wick was in heaven or hell, was kind of like, oh, this is a Dark Knight Rises moment, yeah. possibly. <laughs> yeah, they're both smiling and stuff. It's like, wow, it's checked up. No, oh, and then and then the Bowery King straight up like <laughs> cackles. And I'm like, oh, well, clearly he's not dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, why would you do that? Yeah. Huh. I, I didn't I didn't think that I I, I chose to trust the movie. And I guess I feel like that trust has been betrayed. <laughs> wow. I thought I thought it was true. All, all of it, you know. Well, even if it was true, the, the only person in this universe that's stronger than John Wick is the writers of John Wick. So they could just bring him back from anything. He had like 340 words I was reading in this entire movie. writers. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh, okay, let's just have him kill a bunch of people and give him like, yeah. I don't know, 100 lines and like a third of them are all like, yeah, you know, and that was yeah, it. I was going to say half of it is, yeah. 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 And then he also said, sacre coeur. <laughs> yeah. He said some Kennedy's. My, my wife thought was pretty good, that line. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in, in regards to that post-credit scene, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like that's just opening up the world right to all other characters and i think that is what potentially makes the john wick universe so special is because you can literally make it anything like they're just a world of assassins like the world is your oyster like literally make whatever stories you want to make out of it so i'm all for it i mean as we talked about we mentioned here and there this this franchise can survive without keanu um and I remember after watching No Time to Die, I was like, man, Anna Darmus was the best part of that movie. Her scene, she was a scene stealer. And now she's getting her own John Wick type movie. I'm like, I'm there for it. So I hope it's as good as the John Wick movies. Yeah, it's kind of interesting with her. She's kind of in every sort of spy thing. Well, not every spy thing. She's also in that one movie that I don't know if it's going to be good or not. Chris Evans, uh, Ghosted. Right, I don't know if you've oh. seen the trailer for her, but she plays like a similar type of character, and now she's got this John Wick spinoff. It's like she's she's any of these things, but they're not James Bond. 
spin-offs. And she was in the Gray Man from the Russos. Uh, a very uh, very mid-tier spy mm. action film. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Paul. Like, I don't. I think the franchise can move on without uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, but if he were to come back to it after they kind of flesh out the spinoff movies and flesh out the world and more introduce more characters, I think that would be like c- kind of amazing, uh, kind of to bring him out of retirement. Um, then he I could think say, it'll be. You could say, "I'm thinking I'm back again." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. Um, I will say this: If he does come back, I hope he's married to Carrie Ann Moss. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she comes back too, because uh, we we can't let Matrix Resurrections uh be the end of uh of Keanu and Carrie. So, I, I think we need a proper Matrix Trinity, um, no pun intended, uh, in the John Wick franchise. I think Carrie Ann Moss fits in this world. She looks like she could be an assassin. Uh, she looks like she could hang out with the Bowery King and John Wick. So I just want to put that out there, speak that into existence. What if this is like the Matrix? You know, like, I mean, yeah, that's what? how they kind of explain that. Like, they're just sitting there in front of the Eiffel Tower and there's no one there. Yeah. Why is Paris empty? Yeah. Where are all the Paris police? I mean, in, so, yeah. yeah. There's, there's also uh, cyberpunk uh, dance parties. It's it's like perfect. That's very true. Very true. Yeah. All right. Any uh, any other closing thoughts before we end the episode? Uh, I think after watching this movie, we can safely assume that Hiroyuki Sonata is John Wick's closest friend. He did the most for him. So in the friendship power rankings of the John Wick universe, Hiroyuki Sonata is number one. Number two is probably Donnie Yen. And then number three is probably Winston. Winston should have been number one, but he's number three. And uh, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, interesting. Oh, I, I didn't want to ask you, Joe, because you thought that this was the best in the series, in the franchise. So after like talking about it with you, it sounds like you had similar problems as me uh, with the movie. I like, Do you still feel the same way? I guess not. <laughs> My mind can't be changed. That's uh, quick. No, I mean, it's it's like, I don't know. I, I thought it was the most, I don't know. I liked the action the most in this, even if it was long in the tooth. And I, I judge John Wick by this franchise, by the action more yep. than anything else. So... And and I actually did not know there was a post credit scene, so I'm happy to hear that. Like, so it's sad. Like every time, mind... I, I mean, I was sad. Like every time, like I'm not even joking. Like I finished the movie, I I do like look up, up online. Is there a post credit scene now? Yeah. yeah, I think we would have missed it too if it wasn't for our uh, our friend John, who's like, shoot, we missed the post credit scene. I was like, there's a post credit scene. I, oh no! I, I knew that there was a post credit scene. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I had up. no idea. Um, like recently, I watched Scream Six, and I looked up for that movie. Is there a post credit scene? And there was. And so what? I'm like, I'm like, yeah. Marvel has has kind of uh you know conditioned us to kind of expect that, or or to at least kind of suspect that there's something else after the movie is finished. Hmm. 
especially with all these connected stories now right like i mean yeah, we got to tease the next installment mm-hmm. yeah everyone's and and it, it's about akira right you guys said so i'm down to see that and, and donnie in and donnie in yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, Go. more more uh, blind on the rolls, please. Maybe they'll uh, maybe he'll get his eyes back or something. You know. Maybe. Oh yeah, he said he pull some he strings. gave them away, right? Didn't he say that? Yeah, he gave his eyes away. So maybe oh, they'll man. they'll install them back into yeah. his face. You know, it's, gonna, it's a refund. Yeah. Oh man, I I gotta say, sorry, we were we were like going off the rails. I loved his doorbell uh, contraption. Oh yeah, that was yeah. hilarious. I loved it. That was great. It was so genius. All right, my question for that was uh, he's wearing like a really tight, you know, suit. How's he how's he fitting all those like modules in his uh his freaking tight suit? I could barely fit my wallet in my suit. <laughs> Nanobots, nanotechnology. Yeah, I mean, I think the suit is one of the most magical uh properties in in the franchise because it deflects bullets. Yeah. Like when they take off their coat, like all the you hear all the <laughs> bullet shell casings fall out. And so it's yeah. like that's that's probably why John Wick survived the the fall from all those flights of uh, stairs because his it it, it, it probably suit. felt like he was falling into a bed of pillows with that suit. Oh right, okay, yeah. They managed to uh, perfect Kevlar to feel like fabric, like <laughs> yeah. found, you know, somehow. So anything's possible. Anything is. <laughs> All right. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Weekend Foolish Movie Podcast. We'll see you next time. We're not done yet. No. The Supreme Leader is wise. I'm sure you are. Blow that piece of junk out of the sky!